It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. As human beings, we're bound to make mistakes. Important, however, is to make as few unnecessary mistakes as possible. We'll look at that in our thought of the day. And in our interview segment, one of my favorite leadership authorities, Skip Pritchard, with wisdom from his terrific new parable, The Book of Mistakes. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. Most mistakes we as human beings make aren't going to ruin our lives or the lives of others. These mistakes may, of course, cause hurt or rifts with others. For example, we might misjudge another person's intent and react defensively with a cutting, disparaging remark when what they said was actually very innocent. Or maybe we were late to an important appointment because there was an unexpected traffic jam, which we could have avoided had we left earlier just in case. Perhaps we greatly overpaid on an item for our business, and its cost to our bottom-line profits was extraordinarily high. None of these things are good, but they're also not catastrophic. Being human, mistakes are going to happen. That's just part of life, and we need to accept that. However, the more we can create an environment where mistakes are less likely to happen, all the better. There's a big difference between a mistake and an unnecessary mistake. And over the course of time, the more unnecessary mistakes we make, the more difficult it will be to attain success in the various areas of our lives. Please don't misunderstand this as though I'm saying we should fear mistakes. No, hopefully we learn from them and use them as a springboard for improvement. There are, however, ways we can decrease the odds of making unnecessary mistakes while accepting they might still happen. In baseball, a third baseman making the throw to first base will occasionally miss the mark and throw it into the dugout for an error instead. Mistakes happen. Very forgivable. But how could he or she decrease the odds of that mistake happening? One way is by practicing that throw on a continual basis. Doing that, the chances of a throwing error are much less likely. Not practicing in that way makes that error more likely and truly unnecessary. Another unnecessary error by that third baseman is what is known as a mental error. That would be forgetting there's just one out and not throwing to second base to begin an easy double play. In sales, you might mess up during a presentation. However, if you've learned the presentation correctly in advance, sought feedback, and practiced a number of times, and most importantly, focused on discovering the needs, wants, and desires of your prospective customer, the chances of that happening are much less likely. You might come across a common objection. Have you learned how to pick up on that objection in such a way that you and your prospect can both understand the underlying objection, which is the true cause of his or her concern? If not, that's a mental error, avoidable and unnecessary. And doing that too often will dramatically hurt your earning power as well as the number of people you're able to help through your product or service. Again, let's not fear mistakes. They're part of our growth process. Let's learn from them and use them to our great learning advantage. And let's create systems and processes to keep, as much as possible, the unnecessary ones from happening. Indeed, the more unnecessary mistakes we can avoid, 
the better. Up next, we'll visit with a very successful CEO, leader, and leadership authority, Skip Pritchard, who wrote a brilliant and entertaining parable on attaining success in your life, a big part of which is avoiding nine very specific mistakes. Great discussion with Skip Pritchard coming up right after this. Would you like to close sales gentler, easier, and more effectively than ever before? Would you like to never again have to discount your prices? Would you like to become objection-proof? Would you like to learn the one thing that motivates every human being to action and the only reason why people ultimately buy? Do you want to more effectively than ever before communicate the exceptional value that you provide to your customers and clients? If you answered yes to these questions, then what you want is to learn how to sell the go-giver way. If you'd like to dramatically increase your ability to influence and sell, then check out my one-hour audio program, fully transcribed, titled Sell the Go-Giver Away. For more information, click the link in the show notes. Skip Pritchard is a very successful corporate CEO, renowned, highly respected business leader, and keynote speaker. He's known for his track record of successfully repositioning companies and dramatically improving results while improving the corporate culture. His views have been featured in print and broadcast media, including the BBC, New York Times, CNN, NPR, The Daily Beast, Harvard Business Review, Information Today, The Bookseller, Publishers Weekly, Christian Retailing, and The Library Journal. His blog generally features Skip interviewing some of the highest profile business leaders and authors in the world, and the insights are always well, well worth the read. But it's his new book we're here to discuss today, a parable. It's called The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. The story itself is riveting. It's truly entertaining and has a very interesting subplot of danger, intrigue, and courage within the story itself. I absolutely loved it. His website, skippritchard.com, and that will be in the show notes. Hi, Skip. Hi, Bob. What an honor to be here with you. Honored to have you with us. Wonderful book. Congratulations. And we're going to discuss at, at least a few of the lessons. We won't be able to get through all of them, but you had an interesting childhood, rather unlike most, uh, and it, it taught you a lot about caring for others, which I think comes across in the story. Now, as you put it in the book's preface, your home was sort of a mini United Nations. Now, in what regard do you mean that and how did it shape your outlook? Well, it sure was an unusual way to grow up. We had six kids in the family, natural kids, but there were always extra people in our home. My parents decided that they would open our home to anyone in need. And so everybody came through the house. <laughs> they were all different, right? So races, religions, backgrounds, age, they, they all came from different backgrounds, but they all had one commonality, and that was they were troubled. They had issues. So whether they had been abused or whether they were addicted to drugs or had some kind of issue, they needed help. And um, it was very unusual to grow up in a, in a family. Yes. We never knew who, who would come. And some would stay for a day and some would stay for years. Mm -hmm. So it was wonder, wonder, wonderful parents, it sounds like. Wonderful parents. And, and yeah. you know, when you're growing up, you don't even think about it. But now I look back and I think – that was really a different yeah. <laughs> to grow up like that. Well, that's what you live. So it wasn't different to you, but you, you look back and you see what, 
just fantastic, caring, loving parents you had that would do that. And the lessons that you learned were, you know, were, were, were certainly something. Now, this presented a riddle or a puzzle to you that would sort of shape your learning, correct, regarding people, you know, similar challenges, different results. It, it, it really did, Bob. What would happen would you would see somebody go, maybe they would go to community college and then end up with a job and end up on a path to uh, independence and success. And you'd see somebody else leave the house and they were stuck in a cycle of addiction or couldn't get out of the, the mindset they were in and they would come back and in, in had str- you know struggling. So you would see two people and I would wonder when I was very young, I started wondering what is it that made one person get over this and go on and be successful and independent and somebody else stuck in this cycle of addiction or abuse or what have you. And that began a lifelong journey into studying success, Uh personal development, Uh leadership. And uh, that really stayed with me all of my life. And so I've always had a passion for reading everything that I could and listening to every great speaker that I can about these principles. And so it's my life study. Oh, I love that. I love that. And you've done such a good job of emulating it. And and now, of course, being the teacher, which you've been for so long, because you are, you, as I said earlier, you are a renowned leadership teacher. But not only that, you've been running uh, a successful corporation for a long, long time. Well, you know, you, you, you learn best from others. And so I always think of myself more of, of the student than the teacher. But uh, I think that's part of success, right? The most sure. successful people are like you. You're always learning. All of your interviews on your podcasts and the people you meet are always teaching you something that adds something to what you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Now, I want to get into some of the specific lessons but I, I in the story, but I want you to give us a brief overview of what the story is about. It's, it's set in modern-day U.S., but it begins in England early in the 15th century. So what's the basic plot line, Skip? And, and what's, the, what's the premise, the actual purpose of the book itself? Well, the purpose of the book is that in studying all these successful people, I would often ask them about their mistakes, about their regrets, about things that they did. And I would look at uh, what, you know, what made people successful and how did they overcome these challenges that they've uh, faced. And so I wanted to write a story, a parable, something that people could identify with and talk about these mistakes that if you can avoid these pitfalls – you can become uh, incredibly successful. And so the story starts off in England, and it's it's kind of a historical flashback of people mm-hmm. trying to get this ancient manuscript, which is called the Book of Mistakes. And it is passed down from one generation to the next by a keeper. And the keeper chooses nine teachers, and those nine teachers each teach one of these mistakes. And only a select group of people throughout history have had it. And the premise is, What if there was this manuscript? What if the successful people weren't successful because they inherited it or because they had these natural skills? But what if they were successful because they had access to this ancient manuscript? (laughs) Now you can have that same knowledge today. Yeah. And by the way, at the very beginning, when the person was, was uh, you know, in that opening scene, you could almost like see the fog, you know, in the, when he was uh, trying to sneak around and, and the, trying not to get discovered and the whole, oh, it was really, you, you did a beautiful job writing this. It, it really, it was fantastic. Um, did, by the way, and I've got to ask before we go into the, uh, into some of the um, uh, teachings, 
did you have any reservations regarding framing the title as a negative, the book of mistakes, which of course, you know, in the personal development genre, that's not usually uh, how it is. Uh, the subtitle was is positive, but not the title itself. So was there a, uh, was there a, a, a method to that? Was there a reasoning for that? Or did it just sound cool? Well, you know, Bob, that was the subject of massive debate. I mean, <laughs> I'll bet it was. I'll bet it was. You know, it's something called the curse of knowledge. When you know too much, <laughs> sometimes it hurts you. And in publishing, they would say, never do you want a negative title. Uh, but if it was the book of success or the book of secrets or anything like that, you uh, you wouldn't wonder. But, you know, we just like performance reviews at work. We, we get all this great feedback, how wonderful we are. And then there's that one thing the manager says, you know, there's this one thing that you could work on. <laughs> we forget everything else. Right. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, what if you, what if you focus on that one mistake that you make that could really be the difference for you? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there was considerable debate about that. I know that the publishing rule in general uh, does not uh, like that. But I wanted to make a contrarian. I wanted you to think about things in a different way. Obviously, it's a very positive book. It's not a book about. Sure. Oh, experience. my gosh. Absolutely. Very positive. But I wanted to bring it from a different angle. And, and yeah. I think p particularly today, um, we're looking at things differently. And so why not bring through a different prism that most people haven't considered? Mm -hmm. What mistake no. am I making? What's holding me back? Yeah. No, I like it. Uh uh, and, I, and I think it was a great decision, by the way, just that's my, my, so when it sells like two or three million copies in the first couple of years, we'll, we'll look back and say, yep, good decision. Good decision. We'll put you on record. It was not a mistake, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so David, the protagonist whom we meet early in the story, his lessons begin uh, before actually learning the nine mistakes. He learns about readiness first. And I, I loved some of the things you said about readiness. These were quotable. And I remember writing in the book as I was reading them tweet. And, uh, so one was readiness is when your desire is stronger than your distraction. Tell us about that. Well, you know, oftentimes when we encounter great people or we read a great book, we miss the wisdom because we're not ready. Uh, there's the ancient, uh, saying that people say often, which is, um, the teacher appears when the pupil is ready and or various phrases of that. And you have to be ready. And success starts when you have a mindset of readiness to accept it. If you don't have that readiness, openness, seeking mindset and heart, then no amount of wisdom is going to matter for you. Mm -hmm. You could have the world leader sitting there at your table and the, the wealthiest, healthiest, most successful people and it won't matter. It won't make any difference because you're not ready. And so readiness and, you know, mm -hmm. your desire has to be stronger than your distraction because we're always distracted. Right. So how do you tune out those right. those other voices to just get into a place where you say, I'm ready to make this my year? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now, as the title suggests, nine major mistakes that are imperative to avoid. And we should be able to, again, make our way through just a few of them today. So first one. Uh, one of the early mentors in the story tells David, it's the mistake that most people not only make, but they cannot seem to move past. Its grip strengthen, strengthens with each passing year. What is mistake number mistake one? Mistake number one, Bob, is working on someone else's dream. It's so very, very important. Mm -hmm. We often find, why did you major in engineering? Well, dad said to be an engineer. 
why did you uh, move into marketing? Well, my first manager encouraged me that way. Do you like it? No. Why did you do it? Well, because I was encouraged or, or whatever, or I get swept right. up into somebody right. else's business idea. And I really thought about my own mm -hmm. passion, my own purpose. And, uh, you know, Bob, this reflects back to my childhood and back to those earlier, um, days and even studies that I've had and that I've read, you, you've read them too, of, of people who are dying on their last days. And they say, what's your number one regret? And they always say, my number one regret was not being me. I worry too much about what other people think and what they thought. And instead, mm -hmm. I should focus on my purpose. And so working on someone else's dream yeah. tends to be one that we can get trapped up in for years and years and years before we step back and say, wait a minute, why am I here? What is my purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's make that decision now rather than on our deathbeds. Wonderful. Uh, mistake number two is allowing someone else to define your value. Ooh, powerful. And you talk about regret. Uh, go, go, go with that one. That's wow. That was so powerful. Well, it, it, it really is so very important. We accept labels from other people. And these labels are sometimes subtle and they can be insidious. Now, they can be positive, too, but it's the negative ones that we, we take on too quickly, right? We're in the third grade and we kick the ball the wrong way and somebody says, you know, don't think you're going to be very good at sports. Mm -hmm. And we let that label go on us or oh, uh, you're not quite a good speaker, you know, or people laugh at you. We get these early indicators and we let these labels stick on us and define us. And mm -hmm. years later, we're adults and we're still thinking about these negative labels. The one thing the teacher said to us, and it's still there. Yeah, I can think of those myself. Abso absolutely, absolutely. And you don't give it a thought until maybe you start getting into personal development and hearing things like this. And then you say, okay, what is it that I'm judging myself on where I allowed someone else to define me? But unless you think about that, you never think about it because it's unconscious. Right, exactly right. And so thinking back and having an exercise to say, what labels am I thinking about? What's still with me? What, what, did, what did mom or dad say? that's still resonating in my head that they've long forgotten and don't even remember. And yet it's still with me. And, and again, it may be positive and that's great, or it may be limiting us. So don't let someone else define and label you. Don't let someone else value you. I, the story I use in the book is about the nickel and the penny. You know, the nickel in the, in the U S of course is worth five cents as a nickel, but it costs eight, 10 or 12 cents each year to make a nickel. Leave that to our federal government. Exactly, yes. <laughs> but it takes double to make the nickel. Why is it worth a nickel? Because that's what the label says. Right. What if we were doing that to ourselves and we were worth twice as much, but we were allowing labels to limit half of our potential? Whoa, powerful, powerful. And then I just want to read something within that chapter. You talked about regret and you define, and I, I thought this was wonderful. You defined regret as the result of any action pulling against our heart's purpose. And that is, uh, that, that is just so powerful. Uh, if it's, if it's, if it's any action, if it's pulling against our heart's purpose, we're going to regret it. We are going to regret it. Uh, so I guess don't do that. That would be a mistake. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay. I'm, I'm going to move around. We're going to go, go to one more. Um, 
Well, okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, not every principle is framed in terms of a mistake because there's also, when you mix in the story that, that was, was happening, uh, Aria uh, learning from her uncle in colonial U.S., right, 1771, you, she also learned from her uncle three positive laws, the, the, the laws of desire, gratitude, and belief. Um, let's t t take, take any, any one of those, if you'd like, and, uh, and, and talk about those. Talk about that one. Sure, Bob. I, I think particularly these are, these are laws that are meant for anyone, but in the book, they're meant for the keeper, which is the person who's right. picking these nine teachers. Because, mm -hmm. you know, often as leaders, as managers, if you think about these laws, if you think about desire, gratitude, and belief, do I, everything starts with desire, right? Napoleon Hill would tell you that and thinking mm -hmm. we're rich. Everything starts with desire. Uh, if you don't have the desire for the high things, then nothing else matters. Gratitude is that fuel that, that really, it's, it's a hidden thing that we don't realize often until we're too late. But when you, when you talk to the most successful people, they're the most grateful people for mm -hmm. everything, every person and opportunity and idea and belief. But think about a manager with a team. Think about a leader. Think about an entrepreneur running a business. They have to have that desire. But if they get their team to have the greater desire and see things that are bigger than what's right in front of them, mm -hmm. if they give them incredible gratitude and support and thankfulness, those people are going to work harder and be more motivated. And if they believe in people and believe in the cause, there is no power than like when somebody has this belief in you. I mean, when somebody gives you belief that's even greater than you have, it just fuels your success. I mean, you mm -hmm. just want to do anything. And so these three laws, these, these positive laws that are woven into the story um, are all about how do we uh, weave that into our everyday and what kind of success does that come? And, and what are we desiring, thinking about that? What's our goals? Grateful for everything, gratitude journals, those kind of things that you've talked about, and belief, uh, which I think is, is so important because if you don't believe in yourself, really, um, you're, you're limiting your future. Skip Pritchard is the author of The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. Visit his website, skippritchard.com, for his blog, resources, to have him in to speak at your next conference, and of course, for his awesome, awesome new book. Pick up a copy for yourself and for everyone you love and care about. Brother Skip, thank you. Thank you, Bob. Keep doing what you're doing. You're the ultimate go-giver. Main takeaway I received from Skip is that as much as there are success principles for us to pursue, there are also mistakes we need to avoid in order to attain the success we desire. What did you think of the nine mistakes and three laws? And how will you begin applying Skip's wisdom and sharing it with those you care about? Please feel free to write to me at bob at berg.com and let me know your thoughts. We might even share your email on an upcoming program. Remember, the Go-Giver makes an excellent gift to those in your life in order to help them lead better, sell more, and touch the lives of more people in positive and significant ways. Visit thegogiver.com and check out the expanded edition of the book. And while you're there, check out John David Manns and my follow-up parable, The Go-Giver Leader. And look for our third parable in the Go-Giver series, The Go-Giver Influencer. That's coming out April 10th. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review, and your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. 
That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, The Go-Giver Way, Five Principles for Creating a Culture of Excellence. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Berg. Make it a great day.